Welcome to EdTech Examine, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Chris Hans. And I'm Eric Christensen. Well, welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. I hope our uh, listeners are doing well, wherever you are, whatever time of day you're listening to. Chris, how are you doing on this now Sunday afternoon? It's going well. It was raining a little bit, but now it looks like the sun's coming out, so it's always nice. We started a little late. We had a bit of a keyboard fiasco, apparently. removing Bluetooth devices on a Mac and re-adding them using the Logitech software is not as easy as we anticipated. Literally, we were troubleshooting and doing EdTech exam and diagnosis. I mean, maybe that should be our, that should be our side hustle is tech support. (laughs) That's right. Um, We're going to try something different. Um, So, for those listeners who have are familiar with this podcast, we originally uh, advertised this as monthly and then would try to put in uh, mid-month episodes where appropriate. Uh, so monthly is always consistent. So we are still adhering to the original plan. We're going to have continue to have episodes on the first Tuesday of every month. And we're also going to try to continue to have episodes on the third Tuesday of every month. So that date will vary from year to year. But we're going to change up the structure of the mid-month episodes a little bit. So we have multiple sections in our first Tuesday of the other month episode. Those typically are longer episodes. Um, Some folks have told us that we wish we did shorter podcasts. Some people say they like the longer podcasts and the data suggests that the length of the podcast makes no difference to how many downloads we get. In fact, one of our longest episodes is still by far and away the most downloaded, Chris. I think we're almost at 1700 downloads for episode nine, Capture Configure Control. So our compromise is that we have uh, for the last little while, I've been including chapter markers in our podcast. So I've been putting these chapter markers in. Uh, so you can skim to the sections that are most relevant to you in the longer episodes. But we're going to try some shorter episodes for mid-month. So we're going to scrap our regular segments for the mid-month episodes and just focus on kind of one item of discussion, one tech tool, one topic relevant to educators, Um, and we're going to try to keep it short. Um, That makes it more manageable for us, and also kind of we could then kind of have a hybrid system. Uh, We'll also still include interviews, of course, mid-month where appropriate or or wherever. Um, So I think we are going to start with uh, a short discussion about a book that Chris is reading that I read not long ago, so did you want to introduce it for us, Chris? Yeah, so it's uh, we're actually kind of basing this off of uh, the most downloaded episode, uh, which was the uh, Capture Control Configure, where we discussed Cal Newport. He's a Georgetown uh, computer, computer science prof, and uh, he's written a number of books. And over this past year, I've actually listened to three of his books, and this is my fourth one. Um, seems like each one kind of builds upon the next, and uh, which kind of makes sense. Um, but uh, this is called A World Without Email. 
And uh, I mean, it was it was kind of an interesting read, um, and uh, hopefully, we'll see what uh, what we are. It's almost like doing a book review of this, but. Um, Maybe to kick it off, uh, one thing that I found kind of interesting is how uh, Newport went through in some ways. I mean, I I kind of appreciate it, but I don't know who his audience is and and what have you. But uh, takes a very academic approach to this, um, where he discusses the full history, and I I found it kind of fascinating. Like, how did we arrive at this state of affairs where we're all inundated by email and it's controlling our lives. And, uh, you know, you even talked about like the pneumatic tubing that the government, I, I believe it was the CIA that he was referring to that they would go and uh, share messages. And it was like a, a game changer. But then later on, this thing called the World Wide Web and electronic mail and so on came up and uh, they can justify the costs. What are your thoughts? Yes. Well, so he kind of divided. It's been a little while since I've you looked at it more recently than I have. So when I read about it, what sticks out to me was that he talks about the advent of asynchronous communication. So synchronous communication would be um, Morse code is more or less synchronous communication. The telephone is the best example of synchronous communication because it's, it's live. What we're doing here over zoom is synchronous communication. And I think if I can read between the lines on his book that he feels that synchronous communication is largely more efficient, at least in terms of discussions and um, taking away things. Now, we I guess we have a discussion about uh, meetings and how valuable meetings are or aren't, depending on on the on the the context. But one of the things he talks about is asynchronous communication. And again, this is me reading between the lines on his book, can be very useful for composing long messages, but it's also abused. And it can be a way to kind of offload our brains onto other people. So I think it was in his book, Deep Work, that he talked about one of the issues with email was that there are people who spend all day answering emails from people who've sent them because they didn't want to figure something out on their own. So they, they'll often end those emails with thoughts question mark was kind of <laughs> was what I remembered. And so you may spend an hour and a half responding to somebody who was asked a very broad question uh, and, and, and ended their email with thoughts question mark. And so that they've, rather than them having to go look for the answer, they've inadvertently recruited you to do a bunch of work for them and basically draft something over email. So I'm not sure how to, here's a good example. I think I'm not sure how to approach this report. What are your thoughts? Question mark. Well, here's how I would approach it. And then they outline a draft, they copy and paste that and they expand on it. So email is a sneaky asynchronous way to where we offload our responsibilities, the, the mental struggle that we would typically have to go through onto somebody else. Yeah. And I mean, I, at least that's how I see it. I, it's kind of like, a, again, maybe it's because it's been a while for YouTube, uh, but, and it's uh, in my head recently. But uh, for example, one of the things that he mentioned was uh, if you're in the office and somebody, you go to somebody's desk to ask them a question. In the past, like prior to email, you would maybe leave them a sticky note and then you would wait until 
you hear back from them. And so in some respects, like it, it, uh, whether you are talking about the asynchronous versus synchronous uh, type of communication, um, I think what he's kind of arguing more for is that you got to go and change your processes overall, right? And uh, in terms of from right. a planning perspective, because uh, email in itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just the way that it's being used. And in the past, like he refers to, for example, Tim Ferriss, who came out with the four hour work week, and he actually created this uh, away message, like an auto response where he talked about how he needs uninterrupted time. And so he may not get back to you for X amount of uh, period of time, not to be upset, but just that in itself, a lot of people took it the wrong way. And it actually kind of maybe even from a change management standpoint and just uh, human behavior and stuff, maybe even annoyed individuals. And so one of the things that I found kind of interesting is that uh, Newport talked about, don't tell anybody about what your processes are, just go and get the stuff done. And, you know, uh, I think that, especially with that, uh, his previous book with the deep work where you do need uh, large chunks of, of uninterrupted time, I think it's really useful, but right now what he describes, there's that hyperactive hive mind that we're all tapped into. And so even beyond email, now you have instant messaging applications like Slack, where you're just expected to tap into this hive mind and, uh, you know, drop everything. And so again, it becomes that uh, issue of, can you go and be proactive or are you being reactive to everybody going and dropping by? Right? Yeah, that's a, that's a much better way to put it. So for those people who are not familiar with his work, and we talked about him a number of times, deep work, the idea being that you need a large span of uninterrupted time to work on one thing deeply. Multitasking is bad. Context switching is bad because it takes a while to get into something. So if you work on something for 20 minutes, and then you're never really focused if you, if you do that, right? So the deep work approach is an individualistic, your responsibility approach, Chris. I don't know if, I think you would agree. That's kind of how I see it. It's like, this is what you can do as an individual to try to maximize as much deep work is as appropriate for your particular job. And he's very clear that if you're a secretary and your job is to react, well, then maybe a very small minority of your time is deep work, but that's okay because your job is a lot of, he calls it shallow work. He doesn't mean that to be degrading. It just means that you're switching between non-deep things. And if you're a support person where a CEO depends on you, that's, that's super valuable. So he's not saying that deep work is necessarily better, just that without deep work, it's difficult to come up with innovations and and, uh, and concentrate. So if you're a student or a faculty member and you're writing a lot of papers and you're trying to do assignments, you need a lot of deep work time to be able to produce new and original ideas because that's the whole purpose of being a student or, or an academic. It's to the end product or ideas. I got the impression that with his book, A World Without Email, he just, he summarizes deep work and the individual responsible approaches you can take, but ultimately says that only goes so far. You can have no expert, you can set no expectations. You can have auto responders. You can do everything you want. But if you work in an organization that's obsessed with what you aptly described as the universal or that, uh, what is it? The hive mind, the, the hyperactive, hy is it the hyperactive, yeah, hive, the mind? hyperactive uh, hive mind? It, if your whole workforce and your whole organization 
is this reactive, hyperactive hive mind. Um, there's very little that you can do to kind of bend the curve in terms of putting boundaries in place. So he says that that works to an extent, but I feel that this is almost him admitting the deep work. Yeah, he came up with that as an academic in a position where he can tell people to leave him alone and what are they going to do? But if you're at a company where you don't have the power to change that or you're a non-tenured academic or you're in some labor situation where you can't really make a demand like that, then it has to come from the top down or there has to be some sort of institutional understanding that not answering something right away is okay yeah yeah exactly and then what that comes down to is it's a change of process right i mean he's not saying that email is necessarily a bad thing it's just the advent of email has become something where it, uh, especially in the first part of his book where he's talking about how you know how did we get here it, it's interesting because this was new technology, you know, pneumatic tubing and all this, like it's expensive. I love right? that. Uh, and so then how do we go and uh, be able to communicate with people quickly and efficiently? Uh, email came about and now what's happened is uh, essentially uh, it's become busy work, right? Like it's, it's kind of your way of showing that you're doing work, but overall most people, and he talked about how he did some surveys of people, where they feel like they're drowning in email and, you know, there's a, this kind of a feeling of misery and this tyranny associated with the inbox and so on. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I look at it like the, not this past week, the previous week, I actually had two days where I was uh, involved in a strategic retreat. So I didn't have time to go and respond to emails, but the emails still came, you know, we're coming in, they're flowing in and I'm still, catching up from that right and uh, and i know every semester it's funny because it's it's like you're saying uh, eric like instead of people trying to figure out for themselves what they'll do is easier for them to just email right and then offload that responsibility and uh, i i don't know i mean it may be even something like that where you kind of have to look at developing some of the processes but i mean with all the various communication tools and it's getting kind of out of hand when you look at between let's say if you're using outlook or gmail then maybe you have some instant messaging things like whatsapp slack teams messenger now you got this video conferencing with google meets zoom and so on like it, um, it's it's just taking um it's not only is it distracting us but it's actually being detrimental to our cognitive abilities um and uh, ultimately it even just having like those smartphones with you all the time, like you're actually working more. I mean, there was uh, this one person that he actually referred to um, where they changed their whole philosophy um, and uh, actually changed their work week where they, the average worker was basically only spending five hours a day. So in 20 hours, they were actually getting more stuff down. And it was uh, interesting in the sense that uh, by creating those constraints, by having people meet less and focus in on uh, that deep work. And this is really what's happened is, um, uh, and this is why I think maybe as much as I say, it's like an academic exercise, but even understanding that going from the industrial age, looking at the assembly line, what, what we're kind of taking those same type of processes and thinking, okay, well, if we have a uh, email as a tool, it's just a matter of let's get this done faster, more efficiently, but in the meantime, people are spending maybe hours reacting to their email. They don't get concentrated time. And as much as everybody says that you can multitask, 
you can't. It takes time to get back into the rhythm of things. And I, I'm sure you, I think you're yeah. in agreement to that. Yeah, I mean, I, um, so I would say a couple of things about, about his book. So there's, I think what he's referring to with email and a lot of digital technologies is that the expectations in society around how uh, people respond and how quickly have changed. So with email, I'll give you a couple of examples. So there was a time, and I've had, always had email when I've been in the workforce, so I don't know a time without email. But even in the time that I've been in the workforce, the culture around email has changed, I think, quite dramatically. So I'll give you an example. I was working on a project recently. I have a deadline. I said, I will have my portion um, to you at, you know, the day before your deadline. They wanted, I don't know what date in September. I was like, I can make it happen the day before that. I will put it in my calendar. You will hear from me on that day. I will have this done. I, they had emailed me two weeks prior with a big request. It's a very tedious task, but I can do it. In between the ask and the deadline, I got at least two follow-ups asking me if I had started on the work. Now that's very interesting because in previous times, if you had never responded to the communication, you, maybe you would expect that, hey, did you get my email? Um, are you gonna be able to deliver on this deliverable? But I had already agreed. So my thinking is that don't follow up with me unless I miss that deadline because I've actually made a deadline the day before it's due, you could send me, a, if I didn't make it, I could still have it done for the next day and then you would be justified to send kind of a panicked email. But you have to kind of trust people that you've worked with, especially for a long time, to deliver on when they're gonna say. And if they know they're not gonna be able to deliver, it's their responsibility to follow up before the agreed upon deadline and then to give a reason and then you work something out, right? That's how things I think are supposed to work. But I notice now I get that, hey, I'm waiting for a response because I expect a response quickly. This is what it seems like to me. Can you give me an update? So now I have to give an update on where I am in addition to finishing it on this deadline. That's one example of an expectation of almost like updates along the way. I also noticed this with, with, with mobile phones. I mean, in the days when it was landline, you left a message and they get back to you when they're at home. Maybe they're out all day. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. Now the, the expectation is that you would call them back immediately and respond regardless of where you are because your voicemail or texts are with you all the time. And I think that's interruptive. That's why uh, spouses fight because somebody's responding to work phone calls while they're, you know, it's supposed to be family beach day or something like that. So there is a strange expectation that he talks about. Uh, people are stressed. Like they're afraid that if they don't respond, they'll get in trouble or they'll, they seem like they're inattentive or there's this perception that they're not working. Um, and he's like, sometimes there's no way around that. If, especially if a part of your job is to provide updates and, you know, it really depends on your position, but ultimately if your job is to produce a specific deliverable and answering email makes that impossible, then that's going to be worse than not responding. Well, and that's where I think it really, what it comes down to is it's a matter of transforming our workflow, right? And, and this is where mm -hmm. he starts talking about um, uh, and actually looking at some companies where they've uh, started looking at the production process 
developing that mindset of doing one thing at a time, uh, even with certain companies, especially in the software development uh, industry, where they're implementing agile development. You know, and there, there's various uh, techniques in Agile. There's uh, the Scrum, where you're doing these little short bursts, sprints. And then there's uh, Kanban, where you're doing different phases. But many of the tools that you have, like they're actually using these. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting because you're using things like Trello or what have you uh, that have cards and columns and task boards. Um, I mean, this is nothing new if you look at the healthcare industry and he does discuss this a bit um, in a hospital if you have uh, let's say the icu unit you'll have one board where you have all the patients and where their respective yeah. levels are and at a glance you can see where everybody's at but uh, it's just again just ch changing that trans it's like transferring that email into these boards so it's almost like having a discussion board like these card conversations so you'll have a card about that project. So all that communication is in one place. If I need to go and let's say in your situation, Eric, you talked about that report, maybe we have a card for that report, all the links, you know, let's say if it's a Dropbox or a Google Drive or what have you, everything will be in one place. You can refer to it, you, even any kind of discussion, you can see everything in there. And, and then it's just a matter of even, uh, you know, I think it's actually maybe a good thing to have a short meeting discuss where everybody's at, what do people need, what can have everything self-contained in those cards. And even just from a psychological perspective, he mentioned that maybe you have certain columns when things are done and you move one card into that done, just that, you know, instant uh, kind of uh, satisfaction that a task has been completed or a project mm -hmm. has been completed. But really at the end of it, the, the tool itself isn't a bad thing, but now what, what's happened is, uh, again, as we've mentioned, and even in our personal lives, I mean, we haven't even talked about, uh, it's it's funny, you look at things like text message and, and some of these mess, uh, messaging apps where it actually, you can go and enable where the uh, person who's sending, uh, you can actually send a read receipt. And <laughs> imagine you go and read it, and then you got to go and do something, it can actually lead to even further stress and anxiety in people. And so uh, again, we've basically created this situation ourselves unfortunately going and telling everybody hey i'm like in your case how you mentioned well i'm going to get it done by this point or what have you uh really i guess it depends on the workplace culture and uh you know that feel for uh working with that individual but yeah i, I agree with you eric like as long as you haven't missed any deadline and you have no history of missing the deadlines nobody should be interrupting you until unless they need something or if you needed something from that yeah, exactly. And I, I appreciate that if it's a stress inducing thing, um, you know, people kind of want an update halfway through and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's has to be agreed on. That's a little bit easier to solve if it's a, someone asking you within your organization. In this case, it was outside of the organization. So we don't have a system set up between organizations. So that I think that the solution to this is like you said, if you have a repository, I and mean, this is what IT used to do with Microsoft SharePoint. Um, you would put in all the knowledge base resources, you know, links, like you said, things that people need to refer to all the time on your homepage. You'd have different sections for each project. And it doesn't take very long to check things off a to-do list or to document 
a little bit of what you're doing as you're doing it. I think documentation as you're working can become just as much of a burden uh, as the project itself if you do it in too much detail. But, but if people are documenting the projects, they're putting it in a central place where everyone can see it. There's there's A, you have accountability and B, anybody can go and see where people are at, like you said, right? There's not a need for you to write a communication that summarizes what is already in a location for everybody to check. That's crazy. That's duplicated work, right? So I think, uh, yeah, his solution is to have systems uh, where you can do that and, and have a culture. Yeah. So I don't know that that's easy to solve. No, and, it, and that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, imagine, Eric, like if you, I mean, we've chatted about this before, probably the best thing is maybe checking your email twice a day. But if I go and advertise it to everybody, hey, I'm only going to be checking my email twice a day, you know, maybe in the morning and then one in, in the afternoon, uh, people may get a little bit ticked off or what have you, right? Uh, and that's why mm -hmm. uh, it was interesting because he did mention that uh, maybe you don't disclose what your work habits are as long as you get everything done and, and don't even apologize for it either. Just go and do it uh, until you get to a point where somebody starts complaining but that's where I think it was interesting, like uh, even with meetings, sometimes people just meet for the sake of meetings. And uh, one thing that he also mentioned is like, let's say, Eric, like in we're working together where this whole podcast we've been doing remotely. Right. But what we could do is create like a bunch of uh, things that uh, tasks, things that we need to go and address, compile them. And then we get together and we discuss them all in one batch as opposed to going and, mm -hmm. you know, constantly interrupting each other like throughout the week and so again it, it just becomes a, a matter of changing your process your you know uh, he does also refer to i mean uh, there's this concept of like attention capital that uh, he mentions in the book and uh, really uh, emails taking a lot of our attention and uh, it's, uh, it's leaving people uh, not only feeling anxious and not productive but then they wonder yeah what what have i completed in a day because it seems like all we're doing is that scrapes the meaning from their yeah. life and and in fact yeah. actually what's happening is we're we're working longer right and and i don't think if you look at again uh, back and this is why i think you went through the history it was more so just to get things done really fast right if you're on a production line you're trying to go and build a car or what have you but you can't go and apply those same type of principles to knowledge work Right. I mean, there's certain things that maybe you can kind of take into uh, effect, but uh, it's uh, at, at the end of it, this is a, um, you know, I think just getting in that right zone. And this is why it's, I think it's important as well. Uh, one thing actually recently I've seen like Adam Grant, uh, who, you know, sometimes uh, Newport talks about him as well. And he's a professor at Warren in psychology, but uh, this past year and a half, people are getting really uh, exhausted with uh, the video conferencing, that Zoom fatigue, as they refer to it. And it's okay. Maybe you don't need to have your camera on while you're having a meeting. And while people say that you should have it on and be present, at the same time, I mean, maybe as long as you're paying attention and and uh, you could be doing other things, who knows what people are dealing with. I mean, uh, having taught in an online environment in this past year. And I, even I've just had some sessions uh, already this uh, this past week. Most people don't turn on their webcam. So I'm not gonna take it out uh, against anybody. I don't know what their personal situation is. 
uh, it does suck going and talking into cyberspace, right? But at the end of the day, as uh, I mean, I'm happy to go and have a conversation by myself, I guess, <laughs> into this uh, void. I do that all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's uh, I, I don't know. I find uh, whether you agree with uh, Cal Newport or not, I, I think it's something that you can enjoy. I, I again, uh, maybe it's because I'm in into like I understand the software side of things, um, uh, even just the the academic history that he's gone through. I, I found it kind of interesting too. He even refers to um, philosophy. Right? He refers to uh, the Le- Leviathan with Thomas Hobbes and uh, uh, where he talks about the life of man is um, nasty, brutish and short. And that's kind of what the, the state of affairs were in with email. But uh, I, I, it's interesting, his approach. I think this is why sometimes I, I discuss this with you. Like for some people, maybe this is where that value proposition for a service like Blinkist comes into play, where they just want to get to the heart of it. And what, what the heart of it is, is that uh, you need to find a way within your organization to change the workflow of the processes so that uh, uh, you can maybe cut back on emails and not have it as something that, uh, and some of the companies that he discusses in the books, like they literally ha- don't use email very much anymore. Uh, it's it's mostly self-contained within their project management software, whether it's Asana or Trello or, or what have you. So what can we recommend to students or educators to reduce some of the burden of email other than the expectations and just being diligent? And we can't train people for that, but what, what would the best tool be? Well, and it's it's interesting, like some of those things, uh, let's say within a, a teaching uh, perspective, and this is one thing that I'm bringing into the class, even though some of the classes are in person, but having a discussion board, right? Now, I've created a discussion board where if uh, there are certain questions, maybe there's other people in the class that have those same questions, but, you know, you can pose that question on the discussion board. And then everybody can go and see it there. And uh, then I create another section uh, where it's just, uh, you know, maybe there's some resources that whether I came across it or some students come across that they can just go and share and have it available for everybody. Um, I think quite often what happens is that uh, it's it's funny because people, instead of trying, like how you're saying, like instead of trying to figure it out for themselves, the, it's just that much easier. Hey, let's email them and find out. Right. And uh, as opposed to trying to investigate, like it's uh, as a, you know, I think it was an episode five that we had where we interviewed um, Tom O'Neill with ITP metrics. So I've been using ITP metrics in all of my courses. And one of the things that I found, it's, it's kind of funny, is that uh, their system, a lot of times when the emails get issued out, end up in the junk or spam folder. So now what I've done is just added, when I send out an announcement uh, to students, is that in the event that you don't get something from ITP metrics, check your spam or junk folder before you contact me, right? But like, that's, it's uh, it's funny. It's just simple things like that, that you just need to be a little bit more aware of, like put yourself in the shoes of both, uh, you know, your instructor or professor, as well as the students, um, you know, and, uh, it, even it's a, I'll tell you this past week, like normally what I would do is actually go through in detail on the first day of class, um, uh, the, all the various assignments and, and so on. And uh, this year I, I decided not to, I, I just went over it quickly because I'm going to have to repeat it anyways. And I don't know if it's the best use of our first day of class. Right. And uh, 
and again, all the information's there is just, I think sometimes people are lazy to go and actually read, right? It's, uh, it's funny, I had uh, somebody, uh, one of my colleagues, I, I, I don't know, I get labeled as uh, being a professor or something by them. <laughs> like, are you giving me homework? And, and I'm like, well, contrary to what you might believe, uh, even though you're not in school anymore, you still have to read after school. And uh, you, maybe you should you oh, should yeah. even read more so to keep up to date, uh, whether it's reading books or reading articles or whatever. Uh, but it's just, I think it's human nature. We think that, okay, well, we only needed to read while we were in school and now it's done. And, you know, let's let those textbooks catch uh, all that dust and stuff. But, you know, uh, I think this is where one thing that uh, I think everybody should be uh of the mindset is that we're, we're always learning, right? That's, uh, that's what our life is about is, uh, you know, you're always in a constant uh, state of where we're like lifelong students. And so, you know, you always have to kind of uh, adapt. And um, I think that would be my kind of uh, approach anyways. One of the things that I'm, I'm thinking is just to, how do you go and have maybe a bit of this hybrid uh, take some of the best of what we did in online delivery and implemented it even in the classroom. Well, I think that's a good summary, Chris, of this work. And I think this book would apply well to educators in higher education and K-12, both uh, instructors and students. Those are areas where we have a lot of flexibility and autonomy. So these are good places to apply the skills of deep work and creating some boundaries around digital communication. So just once again, that book is called A World Without Email, Reimagining Work in an Age of Communication Overload. And that was published by Cal Newport in 2021. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, awesome, thanks. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTechExamined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time.